but I'm in a jungle. We went live, so if there's something that needs to be addressed, the whole five people that will jump on can get it. But um, Connor Ben, he's pretty annoying. What do you think, Dakota? I mean, what do I think? I think he uh, tried to headbutt Dobson six times during the fight. I mean, he does the classic, like, come into the clinch and then dip down and, you know, use his head to, head to butt you under the chin. I don't understand the appeal other than being a British fan, being a fan from the UK, having an attachment to his father or, you know, whatever, like, his lineage. But I, I don't get it. And, and the performance was fun. It sucked. Like, if we're going to be honest, um, to me, I think the appeal is that there's a bad boy image. And it's like the system is against him and he's playing this victim, but he's really like a badass. I'm a badass. I do things my own way. I don't take anything from anybody. And then I think, uh, hey, Susam, thank you. Salute. Uh, Ben's so overrated. He is, and he is overrated, but the reason he was overrated is he had a bunch of fantastic knockout performances against Chris Algieri, against Chris Van Heerden. Very good fighters. He fails a drug test, and now, um, first off, I, I didn't hear anything about this drug test, so that's just strange. that there. I don't even know if he failed a drug test because the drug test is so inconsequential at this point around him fighting and it's never talked about. I don't really understand it. I just know a fight yeah. was Eddie, off. Eddie mentioned it at the uh, the tail end of the interviews. Okay, so he mentioned it like, oh yeah, there's this thing going on. But look, I'm not I'm not maybe the smartest guy out there, but it doesn't take a genius to wonder, right? And this is just wondering. This isn't fact. This isn't opinion. This isn't whatever. But if you fail for a test that cancels a fight. And then the appeal of the way you fought, which was brutal knockouts, aggressive style. This is his second fight in a row where that style isn't there anymore, bro. It does. He's also fighting, I think, bigger, stronger, better fighters. And so when you start and, you know, Chris was a great fighter, but it was also the tail end of his career. So I I think his best win came against a guy that had had a lot of hard fights and whatever. And I think as he's fighting bigger, stronger welterweights, you know, he doesn't look uh, quite as menacing. Did, he fought at a low. He, he was at 140 at one time, right? So at 140. Let me look up to be factually accurate about where he fought Algeria. And I want to say those were 47 fights. This was at a 50-pound catch weight, which I don't even <clears throat> know what to make of that because it's like, you know, why, like, why should this guy, why should this fight be at a catch weight? Like, I think, it- I think with that, I think that's almost just like a little power play where he was going to fight at 157 to fight Eubank. He's just trying to show that, like, I can fight at whatever weight. So if he doesn't pick a weight class, it leaves that open. That's what I, that's what I think he's doing. Well, it's a cool guy move. He's like, I'm a mega, st- and look. Look, there is something about Ben where he is a cool guy superstar, and Eddie Hearn goes, everyone wants to fight him. Well, everyone wants to fight him because he looks vulnerable. He's very famous. He makes a lot of money, and and there's not a lot of risk. I think elite fighters look at him. I think him and Ryan Garcia fit into the same category of really famous, get you a lot of money, and you don't have to worry as much about what's coming back. Yeah, and I think that there's also, you know, if you – 
are are in his position you fail that drug test and then like we've talked about you sort of take on this attitude that somehow everyone's going out of their way to be against you when it's actually something that you're doing that's bringing this on to yourself so i think that it's just it's so there's going to be fighters that want to fight him there's going to be fans that want to see him lose it kind of just seems like he's going out of his way to uh to 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 rub people the wrong way honestly and he's playing the heel I mean, he's, he is, but, like, I almost feel like he's aloof to it. I almost feel like this is just who he is. Like, he's kind of an entitled guy. Yeah. And I think that's what comes off is he doesn't seem to feel as though anything he's done is wrong. Like, I don't get the sense that he's playing a character. I get the sense that everyone that's against me is just a bunch of pricks. Like, And, I'm, and by the way, then we're ta- everything we're talking about, and then he spends the whole fight – Try, we haven't even talked about the actual fight. He spends the whole fight trying to headbutt Dobson in the clinch. Then when the fight's over, he's like, nah, I don't respect him as a person. And he's saying all kinds of extra shit that really does nothing for him. You know what I mean? And he's not – it was just – kind of makes you look insecure, bro. Like Because those yeah. are the things that an insecure guy says. Oh, I don't respect him. Why? You just spent 12 rounds with him. He went the rounds. What are you saying about yourself? And then you're also talking about a fight like he took a lot of hard shots in that fight and he's going, yeah, it was good work. You know, I've had harder sparring. So it just makes you look like you're not kind of living in reality. Well, I think he isn't because if he was living in reality, he would address what's going on with this PED claim. And that never is a part of the story with him, except for the fine boxing writers who bring it up. It's never I mean. Here, let's are we going to be factual about this fight? Let's be factual. Pete Dobson's a good fighter, but he was a guy who fought mostly on the club scene and was strategically picked, who was an older fighter who <laughs> may be limited. And typically, guys in Pete Dobson's position don't win fights like this. Pete came out, competed well, and did the best he could. And for a guy who's making a lot of money to to talk crap on a guy like that, it's a piece piece of s move. Yeah, and and it was very obvious that he wasn't going to have kind of the fast twitch or whatever to win the fight, but he had the IQ and the timing to be competitive. He just couldn't keep Ben's pace. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't really know. I, I really I, honestly I don't know what to make of this guy. I understand that there are going to be fans in the UK that I guess are fans in the US because look, I see some of the appeal is. If you're an Instagram account, this guy's going to be friendly with you. If you got a lot of followers, hey, he'll just be a cool guy. Maybe he'll go to a bar with you. And for a lot of people, if there's a celebrity guy who's going to be friends with them and help their followers, they don't really care. So I think that there's going to be a group of people like, oh, man, he's so normal. And that's the appeal is for influencers. He's a guy that you can grow with. And for people that like, quote, quote, rebel, badass fighters, He's your guy, and if you're a British fan, maybe he's the next guy that can be relevant at a world level. But that's all I see. Yeah, and there's just there's a lot of irony to that, like rebel badass persona, because he's coming from a a wealthy background, from a a father who's a, a legend in his area. So whatever, if he ever decided in life that he wanted to to box, he was going to have opportunities that you know 99% of fighters were never going to have. 
And that's so, what rubbed me wrong about making fun of Pete because he's like saying Pete making fun of your herd and just kind of slang from the ghettos of America, right? Making fun of him. And it's like in America, you can't be a rich kid and make fun of a kid from the projects. And I'm not saying Pete's from the projects, but Pete seems like he's had a rough life and came up a tough way in boxing. And to hear basically a rich kid belittle a guy who had to earn his way to a main event spot to get probably as high as payday, something very off-putting to me about that. Yeah. That his his whole thing is off-putting, bro. I, and and he's not exciting enough of a fighter for me to be able to, you know, say, you know, there's certain people that are not good people, but they make incredible music and you have to respect it. Like, I, I don't even really fuck with this kid's music, bro. I think that there's like the thing with Connor Ben is like, what is the talent component? Right. Because now we're starting to question like, where is the ceiling? Jesus M in the chat said, I scored it for Rodolfo Orozco when he fought Ben. That was a close fight. This fight, it just felt like you said it perfectly. Dobson couldn't do the things to be able to win rounds, but he made every round competitive. I thought it was very alarming that, you know, Three of the last four rounds, he landed as many power punches on Ben. Ben like, got hit spot in this fight clean. And like I what concerned me was he got hit more in the later rounds. Mm -hmm. So the the difference to me was youth. He was more explosive, a little quicker. So he was able to do things earlier in the fight. But as things slowed down and things got equal, the veteran really landed a lot on him. Another thing we didn't touch on, and then we'll just leave this alone. Ben's power had no effect on Pete Dobson whatsoever. Not really. Not really. And I mean, Pete Dobson said it in the interviews before the fight. He's like, listen, man, I've been sparring with Terrence Crawford and Boots Ennis. Like, I'm really not worried about this guy. And you could see that in the ring. You could see that there was at no time, with the exception of maybe the first two rounds, where I felt like Pete was reluctant. It just he didn't have the, he, the ability to pull the trigger. No, I, I agree with that. And I think that's also when you you fight a trash talker, you don't want to get highlight reeled because you know the kid's a little explosive. You want to see what he has. But I felt like after Ben won those first four rounds, Pete was like, oh, that's what he's got? Okay, I get it. I will say there is an odd um, – and listen, I love my, my British fans, my UK fans, but there is an odd kind of thing where – and I don't know if this comes from football or, or you know, wh whatever this kind of fandom comes from. But there's it's like when I'm listening to Darren Barker commentate the fight, he doesn't have that. I think he's a great commentator. He's actually one of my favorites. But when he's watching a British fighter in not a British fight fan uh, uh, context, he has he has no ability to not commentate it from a. Connor Ben's perspective, how this affects Connor Ben, what Connor Ben has to do to to turn the fight around. That they, they're incapable of commenting the fight in a neutral way, and I think I'm increasingly finding that off-putting. I also think throwing a show in Las Vegas for the British audience weird. You know, it's like this is basically like this goes once again to my theme of this fight. The story is he can't fight in the UK because of a drug test yet. No one's talking about it. And the time was moved up because <coughs> of that. Yeah. As Lukey has a sneezing fit real quick. I know it's like you, you, you're just like, let me give you a one answer when I'm, I'm having a sneezing fit. So, <laughs> you didn't I mean, give me any time. Okay. Go for it. I don't remember what she said, bro. I'm sorry. Well, I was just basically saying that the card was built around, 
the UK audience, but they never brought up the fact why you can't fight in the UK. In only, Eddie only brought it up at the very end and he didn't address it directly. He just said, and then there's this other thing lingering over his head and he's fighting through that and people forget that he's got that on his mind and da 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 da. I don't know, bro. It's just so weird. The kid doesn't have any moment where he's like endearing or likable or appealing in any way at all. And but, you know what might be funny, Dakota? He might be the most likable guy in the gym because that's how ironic boxing is. Like he might just be a guy that's hard to take on television, but you go into the gym and he's the guy everyone likes. Like that's how weird this sport is. But just looking at him from the media standpoint, from what we're seeing, it's really hard to find sympathy for him when you see guys like Arnold Barbosa and all these guys having a hard time getting a great opportunity. And this guy's basically going to have 10 years of chances. Well, and um, amazingly, you know, if one commission is banning you or preventing you from fighting for a period of time because they're looking into something or investigating something, no other commission takes that into account at all. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, what do you want to talk about next on this card? Um, I mean, it was a pretty decent little undercard, honestly. I mean, you want to go Ammo Williams or your boy, the big stepper, Khalil Cole? I'd like to do both. I, I mean, let's just talk about Khalil real quick, bro, because I I thought he looked really sensational. I thought his jab looked fantastic. The power is real. He's knocking he's knocking this guy out with a jab to the body. You almost couldn't have asked for more in this kind of fight from him. I mean, I think he's the real deal, bro. And I think that the reason why I think he's the real deal is he had that tough fight, I want to say, that was a draw early on. He had adversities in his career. So I, for him to get back to this level, it's kind of like Ammo Williams, too. Ammo had adversities, right? He had mental health issues, and now he's back. And they're both looking better than ever. And I think part of that is they had to ask themselves, how much did they want this dream? And for me, with Khalil, I see someone who you can just tell he gives his heart and soul to this sport and wants to be the best Khalil Cole possible. And I, I can tell you this too, bro. He's got a regimen that I have not witnessed. And I've been around a lot of different fighters at a lot of different levels doing a lot of different shit. And I can tell you, I have not ever been around somebody whose training is as grueling as his is. And sometimes you wonder when you're watching that, like, damn, is he going to have anything left on the night? And then on the night, it looked effortless. You know what I mean? It, so they they know that fine line clearly. And uh, if our guy Khalil Cole watches this, uh, amazing how we thought this would be a hard fight. And this just shows you how silly boxing is. This was a hard fight. This is a tough matchup on paper. Khalil gets the win, and he won't accurately get the credit for it because this was a very challenging fight that he made look easy. To me, this makes him a top 15 light heavyweight in the world. But most people won't acknowledge this type of win. I don't know why they wouldn't. And also, I mean, he's he's beaten, I don't know, four or five unbeaten fighters. I think he's kind of going out of his way to take fights that at least optically are challenging. Um, and so I just, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I do kind of think he's doing all the right things. And um, Dakota, to answer your question, I don't think many people outside of some podcasters and hardcore enthusiasts watch more than two fights on boxing cards. Yeah. So I think the issue is until 
Matchroom says, you know what, we need to put money behind him or have Eddie stand next to him and say we need to put you as a main event. Hey, just, he kind of did that, bro. He did. Eddie, I, I don't know if you saw that part, but Eddie kind of got next to him and was like, yo, this guy's one of the best, you know, American fighters out here. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's true. It's just a guy like it's it's a real shame, and we could get into if Shakur's um Shakur's ever retiring, which I don't think he's retiring. I think he's frustrated. But it's a shame like you couldn't get a card like Khalil Cole and Shakur Stevenson, a New Jersey card with two New Jersey guys on it, because that's what that region needs. Even a Vito Milanicki. Oh, like, get get all of them, get Vito, get Shadeja Green, there's get Ian. You could put together like a dynamite New Jersey, even if you wanted to make it like a New Jersey, New York card. Oh my Imagine god! If you can do a New Jersey versus New York card. You know how Saudi Arabia's doing matchroom versus Queens, Queensberry. I mean, it just—it's a shame that the politics of boxing sometimes hurt organic things that people would genuinely be interested in seeing. And it feels like Khalil Cole deserves to get the attention of a great American fighter. And now I guess it just comes down to if Eddie wants to give him the activity to get that praise, because I guess the activity yeah. is what he needs. Well, and he also made the the reference that he'd like Khalil to fight sometime in the UK. I kind of took that as an inference, like, you know, there's some decent light heavyweights in the UK. You know, there's Anthony Yard, there's Lyndon Arthur, there's uh, Craig, um, Craig Craig Richards, Laurent Richards. There's some there's some good light heavyweights out there. So I don't know. I think that's kind of what he was inferring is like I'd like to see him get in the mix with this batch of guys we have over here. And if he gets past them, now we start getting into the conversation about, you know, Bivol and Better Beav. And and I know from talking to him and his pops that those are fights that, you know. But let's be honest. That I, and they also think they don't think anybody up to heavyweight can beat him. That's how confident they are. You know what and I mean? That, that's good. Like the minute, imagine if you talk to a fighter and they're like, ah, I don't know, this guy might have my number. Like that's when you know you're talking to the wrong fighter. But you know that thing where if there's a big fight that's obvious and guys are like, you know, we'll see what the best options are and that there's a political way of answering that. Him and his dad are like, Bavol, Better Beef, Usyk, like whoever, we're down. Like it's real cash. They just drop that in. You know what I mean? Casually. Yeah, I mean, I think that to me, this is my opinion. Better Beef and Bivol are gone. They're both gone. They're going to fight June 1st, undisputed. And then I think both of them are just going to kind of take on the most exciting, biggest name opponents possible, but they're no longer going to be world champion defending against the number one guy. They're going to be high profile, superstar, catch weight, cruiser weight, maybe freak show heavy. It They're gone, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think they're off to the races. So, I mean, I'm looking at a guy we're going to talk about in a little bit, like a Josh Buatzi, Joshua Buatzi. Mm -hmm. There's a new era of heavyweight, and I think that Khalil Cole, who was a great amateur, he's leading the way right now in America. And then we got my guy, Man K Crazy. Man K uh, Crazy and Jesus M, thank you for tuning in. I know the time's a little weird this week, but we really appreciate it. Said Matrim doesn't have a lot of American prospects. Ammo Williams, Diego Pacheco, Khalil Cole could be in the mix. I think another one is Mark Castro, who I'd like to see a little bit more active. 
But those are the matchroom prospects that come to my mind. Uh, I, you know, Ray Ford, but he's not really a prospect anymore. But he's that's a contender. A, but you're that's right. Matchroom prospect that they grew. They developed. They do a good job because they didn't just go, "Hey, let's just give you." You know how you and me would build a fighter. There's going to be some adversities. That Robert Diaz yeah. route. I think that's the right way to do it because you look at the guys that have those hard fights on the way up. They seem to do better than the kids who are um groomed and babied and then you give them a hard fight and they're like wait this isn't what's supposed to happen i was gonna do party guy stuff right yeah yeah that's not supposed it's not supposed to be this hard it's not supposed it's supposed to be fun man there's a girl in a crop top and she looks sexy and i told her like i'm gonna knock this guy out and go viral yeah i and i think before before we wrap it up with khalil i i just wonder how fast you move him nine fights in but it does feel like he is kind of getting to a point where he he's kind of he I think he's ready for a big fight. It's just which one. Let's see. Hmm. Is Lukey talking about Peter McGrail? <laughs> they're t- they're throwing shots at your boy Peter McGrail for getting knocked out by Jericho O'Quinn. Um, that's good. Our chat is solid. Um, I don't know, man. So let's go into Ammo Williams because I think Ammo was robbed of a very good fight in this, but it's not like he was robbed. Connor Coyle, I'm sure had a good reason for pulling out, but that was a fight that would have put him in my opinion, in a world title conversation yep. picture. And instead, look, he fought a guy who was tough. He took it on short notice, no disparage, but this was not the type of opponent that's going to get enthusiasm for where you want to get going. No. And I think like you said, we're, you know, Connor and him were both, ranked in the top five of the WBA. So there was legitimate title implications in this fight as far as one of these guys getting ranked really high. It wasn't the same caliber of opponent, um, but he dominated the fight. I think he showed a lot of different things that he can do. He showed the power. He showed the combinations. I think at times he showed an excess of footwork. You know what I mean? Where it felt like movement just to move. But I also like that he's doing a lot of different things. I felt like in a couple of fights – like the Steve Rolls fight, he gets kind of caught up into doing one thing and it becomes predictable. So I thought this was a good performance. I'm going to say a hot take, right? And this is just my observation. It kind of feels like Matchroom doesn't believe in ammo because they're kind of keeping him in a certain I don't know, bro, because, you, you, I mean, if he's if he was about to fight Connor, who's ranked number five, it's hard to say that they're, you know. No, but I get but this is a pretty open division. This is a pretty powerful promoter. He's been fighting a certain tier of guy for a good period of time right now. Connor was a step up, but it's it's taken a while for this step up. You know, it's it's felt like since the third Golovkin fight, he's been fighting fair, fairly good opposition. I don't know. It just feels like there's more to the story because guys typically get bigger opportunities from the performance he's having. And he's kind of just staying in the same spot. But I think he's staying in that same spot because at the mo- at the moment, because the, like the Rolls fight was very close. You know what I mean? That was a very close fight. The Kieran Conway fight was a very close fight. Now I think those guys, like Conway, might actually be a legit contender. You know what I mean? Steve Rolls is, I think, a legitimate like fringe contender. But he's not knocking those tests out of the park. Whereas this one, I actually thought he kind of did knock out of the park. Yeah, I mean it's. It's interesting. I just, there's times where I see ammo and I go, man, this is a future world champion. There's times I see him and I go, man, this guy is so vulnerable. And it's like, I can't figure out who he is as a fighter because I see exceptional talent. 
and I see some flaws. And yep. I guess if I, I guess maybe I'm putting myself on matchroom. If I had a guy like that, I'd be like, we need a little bit more time until I know what he is. Is he the A side or the B side? Because I honestly can't tell. I thought his fight with our friend Cordell Booker was going to be a hard fight. He caught him in the first round, knocked him out. It blew my mind. Then he goes into the fight with Conway, and it's like really weird, strange. Steve Rolls is really weird and strange. And I expected in those fights for him to separate. And he looked very much at that level in those fights. Yeah. And but he's also he's not like a young young guy, but I think he's still kind of figuring out who he is as a fighter a little bit. And at the at in the last couple of fights where he's fighting more world class opposition, we just like you said, we haven't seen him make that separation. Um, but I think the the good news for him is like you said, you know, middleweight is not jam packed with exciting fights. So I just feel like you know Janabek whoever the champs are, are going to be looking for meaningful opponents that people can get excited about. And I think he's just going to wind up being one of those guys. Tell you a guilty pleasure of mine, Johnny Fisher. Love Johnny Fisher. He seems like such a good guy. Maybe we should try to get him on the show because I feel like he totally would just come on. The show. Better too. And I love any fighter who gets a first round stoppage and goes donuts and beer. He's getting better too, man. Like I honestly, the first couple of times I saw him, I thought he was just not that good of a boxer. Technically, he looked just like a big, strong guy who could hit really hard. And now I think we're starting to just see some more layers to what he can do. So I, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited for what he can bring. I'm excited about a heavyweight who has a personality and a fan base because heavyweight needs he people wants to fight. Well, and it's like heavyweight needs people that I care about because heavyweights obviously get way too many opportunities. And he's someone that's like kind of the classic underdog. We know he's probably going to lose a fight, but I think if he won a world title, like everyone in his hometown would be super proud. And it, it's kind of like you're cheering for an underdog story. It's a unique thing. Like, and I think the fact that he's so honest and happy after wins, like, you know, a lot of times fighters are very like private and the fact that he kind of lives through his motions in the ring and it's not coherent all the time. Yeah. Is kind of like what it's draws. Raw. It's raw, yeah. it's unfiltered, you know what I mean? You're not you're not getting the uh you're not getting the the media day sheen to him, you know what I mean? Well, I think that like the best way I can say it is like he's not one of those fighters where he says something on camera and then you go to the back room and he goes, okay, let me tell you what I really think. Like, I feel like his conversation yeah. with his dad, his conversation with his friends, his conversation with the media, they're the same exact things. He doesn't and have prepared answers. And those are the people I love in life because my words don't change. And it's like, there's something about Johnny Fisher that I'm drawn to just because it seems like he's authentic. I agree. And I think he's actually becoming a very compelling fighter. One sneaky fight that I thought was worth mentioning, George Lillard, who's a Tony Sims trained fighter, who I think is pretty solid, flying under the radar. He had a really decent fight with Andrew Buchanan that nobody watched. If you are a hardcore sicko, it's on YouTube. And it is a wildly fun. Did you see this fight? I did. Tell people what you think of it. I mean, it was just one of those early undercard fights that you're like, man, I know there's not that many people watching this, but this is a fucking banger right here. And it feels like uh, Andrew Buchanan's going to probably upset someone. 
Like it feels like he like George Lillard just had just enough pedigree to beat um Buchanan, but it feels like he's gonna mess around and catch a guy slipping, basically. Yeah. Okay, do you want to transition over to Joshua Boazzi Dan Aziz? Did you watch that five minute highlight video I sent you? No, because I went to click it and it said whoever the, the uploader has not allowed for viewing in your country. So not oh. only is it on a platform I don't have access to, you can't watch it on YouTube. Yeah, boxing loves to make things easy, accessible, you know. That's that's the way boxing likes to do stuff, easy and accessible. Well, for Dakota and probably the chat, um, also, let's get to the chat. Ammo not mature. There's an interview where he said he started throwing F-bombs after being asked about Felix Cash. I mean, I think that's also, yeah, that is maturity. You know, I think that's also like the personality and maybe a little bit of un unstable, unhinged. But Dakota likes that because that leads to really crazy fights sometimes. The unhinged guys give you that. But back to Joshua Boazzi Danazi. So going into this fight, they were friends. The fight was for the WBA light heavyweight eliminator, which in a perfect world would be against better B versus Bibble when they have their undisputed fight. But we know the world's not perfect, and we know the WBA is probably going to step in and strip them or create an interim title, and Boatsy's going to fight somebody else who we could go into the rankings and figure it out, but he's going to probably fight for a vacant title in, a, in reality. That's the way I look at this. You could get up here and yell at me until your face is red, but that's how I see it. Um, Dan Aziz is what Dan Aziz is. He's a tough guy. He comes forward. But Bawatsi just had a major talent component, and he was catching him. He actually landed a left hook, I believe, where he floored him. He fell face first. Uh, Man K crazy in the chat says Bawatsi let Aziz finish for the UD Maybe. I mean, that's the one thing about Buatsi I've gotten to know from interviewing him and being around him is he's a really nice guy, almost to the point where it makes me worried that at the highest level, maybe he's too nice. But to me, this is people have been critical about the development of Buatsi. This to me was a breakout performance because Buatsi beat a guy that a lot of people had questions about where how he do against disease. And he outclassed him, dropped him twice and did his thing. I just think we've kind of known that about him for a little bit now. And I think the issue for him is that on it's it's like where welterweight was not terribly long ago with Crawford and Spence. It's like until better beef and Beaver fight each other. There's not there's not as many aspirational fights for him. You know what I mean? Cuz he's kind of already in that fourth fifth slot. And my guy Mr. Crazy said the second drop was a slip. So one and a half drops, we'll say. We'll, <laughs> we'll split the difference with the referee. Um, I mean, I think it just sucks when you're in this position where it's like the whole world knows you're good. You've got a style that I think coming out of the Olympics, he was the most exciting British fighter from that Olympic class. And he just hasn't moved very fast. It's eight years since his Olympic class where he got the bronze medal. And this was the biggest fight of his career. And I think most American fight fans, not that this was for America, don't couldn't pick Dan Aziz out of a lineup. So that I think is part of the frustration with Boatsy's career is it's been moved very, very slow, albeit since he's gone to boxer, he's had more fights. 
And I think that that's the big thing. This is a second fight with boxer. The activity is the issue too, bro. I mean, he he fights like once a year. You know what I mean? For the last several years, I, I this is just off the top of my head, but I'm I'm gonna guess for the last at least three years, four years, he's fought once a year. I mean, it sure feels like that. Like I don't even feel like doing research right now on that, but it certainly feels like he fights. We do a podcast. We go, this guy's pretty good. And then a year goes by, and then we go, oh, yeah, this guy's pretty or good. Or like 11 and a half months, you know, so you could say. months, right. yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, again, he's he's in a spot where there isn't going to be, because he's already kind of at the top, but he's not Bevel or better be if there's just not that many options for him. What I think one fight that I would be interested in is him and, and Alexander Vozdek. I mean, I think that's just such a great fight. And I think that the winner of that would legitimately like deserve the winner of Bevel and Better Brief. Uh, yeah, I think the fight they're going to make is Anthony Yard because when I interviewed him, that he was basically like, I'm not saying I'm going to fight him next, but mm -hmm. let me give you quotes about Anthony Yard because that's a, and I mean, that's a solid fight, right? Because Anthony Yard did better than everyone expected against Better Beef. You beat him. Now you're officially the best British light heavyweight. And that's something, you know, because to be a world champion, you probably should be the best person from where you're from. So if you can't get the big fights, clean out where your region is, you know, and that's your defense, though. It just feels like he's graduated from that level by beating Richards, by beating some of these other guys that he's beaten. You know what I mean? I agree. It's just a terrible division. Like it's Gavazdik or Anthony Yard are probably the two most logical fights out there. And Gavazdik it really feels like nobody's really trying to take a chance on him because they don't know how good he is still. I so think I also, is Callum Smith going to remain active? Because I'm sure in the UK, Bawatsi and Callum Smith would be a huge fight. just feels like after better be fights, when guys lose, nobody comes back quick. That's just the undertone I've seen. Fucking beating them down, bro. He beats them down. He beats just them down. Like you don't them. see that guy that better be stops. He's like, let me get back six months later. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Joe Smith, uh, Vosdick, the, you, he's got that Subaru Matias thing, bro. He really he gets you thinking about, you know, do I want to be doing Marcus Brown? Has Marcus Brown fought since they fought? Maybe. I mean, I'm trying to think of a guy that, that bounced back kind of quick, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's that's actually the harder answer. It's like, it's like. Who's so I basically just fighting him? I'm just saying, I don't think the chances are Callum Smith is coming back anytime soon. I think if he does come back, history would tell us he comes back December and it would be a Saudi Arabia card if he did come back. But I don't see it. Yeah. So that's that card. Um, two notes on it. We'll just combine them. Caroline Dubois, who's probably one of the most promising women's boxer, women fighter out there. She continues to look really good. She's the sister of Daniel Dubois, 2020 Olympian. And Benjamin Whitaker, who Shine Boxing in the chat is talking about, he did an imitation of the Drunken Master. Basically, what he does is, I don't know if you've seen this viral clip, basically belittles, mocks, and humiliates the guy he's in with doing dance moves and basically like Roy Jones antics. And it's a great way to get attention on the internet. I think he's a fantastic fighter. But man, can you not have a bad performance against a better beef if you're going to treat these these lower level competition this bad because I feel like everybody is waiting 
to make the meme that says, this is what you used to do. And this is the guy, you know, I feel like you're really playing with fire on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, that it's funny how memes and the internet have sort of shaped that you could kind of just be like Emmanuel Augustus and be a little quirky and people just appreciated you, <laughs> you know? Do you have any thoughts on Ben Whitaker? Did you even see this video clip? No. Oh, uh, so, well, there we go. That tells you how relevant it was. But I do think for the viewers, Ben That's Whitaker. Thing, I'm a boxing guy. I'm not an internet guy. So there is some shit that I just missed just because I'm not, I'm not always in the, that's also part of why I like doing this show because I know my boxing shit, but I also learn a lot from talking to you, talking to everybody in the chat. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Ben Whitaker is going to be a – he's a guy that quite possibly by the end of the year could be fighting Khalil Cole, if we're being honest. Like, that's the level of talent he is. He's a silver medal Olympian. He beat Amin Kitaf, Iman Kitaf, who I thought was the best light heavyweight in the Olympics. If it was a pro fight, I don't think he would have won. He won just by kind of staying away from him and not getting hit by the boulders. It's kind of like the way Usyk beat Better Beef. It kind of felt like Better Beef was solving that puzzle, but he didn't have enough. He didn't have enough rounds to win the fight the way that he needed to. Um, let's one last one from the week. Angelo Leo gets a stoppage win over Mike Palena, Magic Mike. Nice win. Um, just thoughts on that. I thought it was a great win. I it was honestly more dominant than I thought it would have been in my head. I've only seen uh, Mike Plania fight against Josh Greer, so I don't have any other context other than a really good performance from him. Um, but I think Angelo Leo, he took some time off, right? You interviewed him last week. I know he took some time off, but I just think that since he's come back, bro, he really does look like a, a championship-level guy. Yeah, and, um, you know, with Leo, he's a former world champion, and I kind of get the sense talking to him. He feels like people don't remember him as a world champion. So he's like he's a guy that did hold a world title. He beat Tremaine Williams, yet when he enters a room, I don't know if people go, oh, there's a world champion coming in because that, right. that he lost right away. It really feels like his return to the sport has been chip on the shoulder guy. Yeah, and I know that he probably, I mean, he gained and lost a world title very young, you know, so I think that that's part of it, right? There wasn't any sustained run or anything like that, but I think that um, already having that experience in his toolkit for the age that he is, I just think that he's he's a very dangerous guy. I mean, he's he's really good. He, Pro Box has kept him extremely active. Really he's, sharp. And look, I'll be honest with you, Plana's not, Probably the same guy. Probably not his best weight, 126. That being said, he started strong. He tried to get Leo uncomfortable. and he what, took what makes you say that? Is there something other than the weight? The weight, hard fights, slow and gradual decline. Get it, I believe he got stopped by Elijah Pierce, a good fighter. But okay. the, there's like a little sign of decline. But... I don't think that takes away from Leo because Leo did had a type of performance where I think against any version of Mike, he would have gotten that same result. I agree. I, I you know, that when it, by the time the fight was done, it just seemed like he, he had his number, you know. Let's go into this week. T.O. Actually, you know what? Screw that. Screw that, dog. We got to talk about this. Are you ready, bro? I don't know. 
Are you ready, you switched, bro? You switched up real abrupt on me, dude. I switched up on you. Okay, this is what we got to talk about, bro. Looking over there to make sure I'm not being watched. Tyson Fury pulling out of the Usyk fight, bro. Give it to me. I, I don't know what to give to you, bro. We got to cut. I, 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 you know. I, I get it. But what I'm saying is, why is there always just foolishness with this guy over the last few years? I've, I've just come to expect it. So anytime he says he's going to do something or says he's not going to do something, I don't, I, I, I don't take it serious anymore. So I always kind of, not, not that I'm saying like, oh, I knew this was going to happen, but I just feel like if he's in the mix now, it's not the, the event in and of itself is not reliable. Feel like the outcome isn't reliable. We don't yeah. get a sh like. I kind of started to get worried because when I was boarding my uh, my Airbus recently, I wanted to watch some promotional material on my flight of this thing. Red flags came up to me when I couldn't get watch a pay per view preview show. I couldn't download one. That's a little concerning when the fight was going to be February 17th. Now, quite obviously, he got cut in sparring. No one wants to get cut because that builds up scar tissue. I think now that brings up an interesting question. He got cut in the Otto Valdeen fight. Is it the same cut? Or yeah, it's like it's even worse, no, in my opinion, if it's the other side, because now you have scar tissue over both eyes. I talked to my group. It's the same, same eye. eye. You know? Yeah, it's the same eye. So now we got an ongoing thing, right? We got an ongoing cut. And let's be honest, Usyk's an accurate puncher. He's maybe not the biggest puncher, but he has a lot of sting in his shots. You can't let a fight continue or go on with this type of cut. But now it really makes me wonder. They're saying, what was the date? May 18th, so two weeks after Canelo fights. And I believe there's like penalties, money penalties. If someone pulls out, which are basically seem to be put in place by Saudi Arabia saying, hey, you're not going to be able to get out of this fight. I don't know, man. This feels like probably the worst way for Fury to get into a big fight with Usyk. He's coming off a humiliating fight with an MMA guy. Um, he gets cut and sparring a few weeks out from camp. And then May's around the corner. So like, when's the cut going to heal? To you, Dakota. If I mean, if he if he's getting it stitched up, you know what I mean. Maybe the stitches are done, healing and everything within a month, and maybe you know. But the fight day, it's gonna be like just healing up. That's what I'm saying. So, like, realistically, when when would you start sparring? Maybe mid-April. Realistically, in a perfect if, if, if if I have no fight scheduled, mid-May, early June. Yeah, I mean, like, like mid, mid, like you're going to probably start April first. April Fool's Day is when you're going to start. You got to wear the bar now. You got to yeah. put the bar up. I mean, it it just seems like Fury is going into such a problematic fight with Usyk, who's even more motivated. Who, Egus Klimas is now saying that he believes this is the fifth time Fury's avoided this fight. And they've been dicking around with this fight for a long time too. I just think it's a style that Fury doesn't like fighting. A little guy that moves who's got good, sharp punches. I think it's just a style he does not enjoy fighting. I'm not saying he's scared. I think it's just he does not enjoy fighting this type of style. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that that's necessarily related to him being cut or anything. But I, I no, that's. I want to clarify. I don't think that that was the cut. I think the cut happened. Yeah, but I, I, I agree that that he he has been dragging his feet because I just don't. I don't think this is a because for a fight like Wilder, you know, he's either going to be the boxer or he's going to be the push and shove you around guy. And against Usyk, I don't think he's really going to be able to be either. I just I think the big takeaway for me is just how disappointing this is for the fight schedule. Because you look at this month, we're gonna talk about Teofimo Jermaine Ortiz, then we got Shock Foster, then we got Edgar Berlanga. That's our month, dog. Yeah. That's our month. And I'm not saying that's a bad month, but we're void of star power. Yep. Maybe Teofimo will be on Sports Center, but I don't know if anyone else is gonna get major network headlines. And though, and also, I there isn't any other super fights. There's other quality mashups, but there aren't any other super fights. There's no hey, hey to my girlfriend. We got to be at the house at X time to watch this. These are on demand. If you have the subscription service, you maybe can go back and watch it at a later date. Yeah, like these are not like. These are not the big fights that you have to go out of your way to see. I hate to say it. We're both going to watch them live, but this is not the stuff that grows the sport, sadly. I mean, I think there's fight like Foster and Nova is a good fight, probably helps to grow the sport, but the super fights are ultimately what extend that olive branch. Do you like that? I'm throwing up a little shaka. Yeah, bro. You out here surfing? Um, maybe your boy's looking a little thick boy, a little hefty out there, but I'm still taking the shirt off, you know, (laughs) taking the shirt off. I'm scaring like the high school kids, the the single ladies in their mid thirties are smiling, but I am taken. They're like, that's a man that's lived his life. They're like, he's not insecure. That's functional strength that it's fine. He has functional strength, bro. (laughs) He's not insecure. He's not out here looking, looking, trying to look like other people. They're like, that guy'd be fun to hang out with. Got nice clothes on. Functional strength. (laughs) Can drill real well. Holds a good conversation. He's funny. Um, Let's go into Teofimo, Jermaine Ortiz. I've interviewed both of them. I almost felt like you had interviewed Jermaine Ortiz, but I guess probably you haven't. You probably missed him by like a year or two. Um, did no, you, I never interviewed Jermaine. Yeah, you missed him by like a year or two. He's right in your region. You would have caught him. Just you missed him. Um, what's your thoughts? I, I'm i still curious. About, I mean, Tia was so amazing against Josh Kelly or uh, Josh Taylor. Sorry. Um but I'm I he's so up and down and high and low and I just he's an unpredictable character as as great of a fighter and a talent as he is. I think Ortiz is a is a really solid guy, maybe even the championship level guy. I do feel like Tiafimo's put himself into a position where he probably could have made some more exciting star power type of fights, but I think that it's a legit matchup against a legit contender. I just I just thought we were going to start seeing the Tiafimo and Devin Haney, the Tiafino, Team Tiafimo and Tank, you know, just the kinds of super fights that it seems like he so badly wants and coming off of the Taylor fight, it just, it would seem like that was the next logical 
step. Man, those fights, those Teofimo, Devin Haney, Shakur, those move as fast as the days of our lives TV show. Yeah. Like, I've given up on that. To me, this fight comes down to one thing. Can Jermaine Ortiz take Teofimo's power? If he takes his power, we got an interesting fight. If he doesn't take the power, the fight's over. I don't, I mean, I don't think that Teofimo's power at 140 has been real serious. Honestly. I mean, I agree with you. It's has just, he barred anybody at 140 yet? I think, yeah, I guess you got a point there. But to me, it's like. I didn't think his power looked like all that. But what I'm saying is Jermaine Ortiz was dropped twice by Joseph Adorno at lightweight. Antonio Moran buzzed him. He's had a couple of like kind of rattlers. This is probably the biggest guy he's been in the ring with. I remember Loma buzzed him a couple of times with shots. Yeah, but he's a he's a big guy. No, I know. And I think I that's probably person. he's big, bro. Jermaine? Yeah, he's a big dude. No, I, I've been around him, bro. He's almost Uncle Lukey size. And Uncle Lukey's not a 140 pounder. Yeah. Um he might actually be bigger than me. But he can't deadlift more than me. And I said that, Jermaine. I got you on the deadlift right now. I got you at least during weigh-in, during weigh-in times. I got you. Um, yeah, I just I think it comes down to the way that Jermaine responds to Teofimo's power because the one thing you kind of said it so well, and this is why I love doing a show with you, Dakota. It's such a great remark. Teo has this habit of fighting down. So he fights really remarkable with great fighters. But he has a way of kind of staying real close with guys that he's supposed to outclass. And I can't I can't really predict this fight because, like, I do think that Antonio Moran buzzing him and Joseph Adorno hurting Jermaine and the fact that he cuts so much weight, I do want to see how he takes a Teofimo shot because I think that there's a chance that the power might just appear in this fight, right? But I also, I, you know, we have no idea. I don't, I, I don't presume to know anything about Teofimo. It just seems like every time he fights on TV, it's either like this is the best camp of my life or it's all of these things going on in my life. How can I be my best? And so it, there's there's all this soap opera that kind of comes with his fights, um, which has nothing to do with his talent and his abilities and, and all of that. I just – Jermaine Ortiz is a big, strong, powerful, athletic guy – that I think is long outgrown lightweight. I think he is going to be better at this weight. Uh, I think it's a harder fight than people might think it is, honestly. Um, and I think unless Tiafimo is who he was against Josh Taylor, uh, if he's that guy, I think he, he will absolutely win the fight, no problem. If he's not that guy, if he's the guy from the, the, the Cambosis fight or even from the Pedro Campa fight or from the Sandor Martin fight, I think that it's a very difficult fight. Well, I think there's two ways this fight goes. Tio catches him in the first three rounds and it's a knockout, or 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 drops him and the fight dramatically changes and it's a decision, but that that one shot changed the fight. You know what I mean? Like I just don't see him being like right. a big puncher. I think, I think Tio is a pretty big, in my opinion, could be biased. I think he's a pretty big puncher. Um or that shot never comes. Jermaine starts frustrating Tio, and the fight starts getting very difficult. And we start seeing because look, this is the thing that scares me about a guy like Jermaine Ortiz. He's the con he's the professional overachiever. Mm. He had overachieved so much. He wasn't supposed and to do it. Again. Primo does not like a 
like a a pace fight, a pressure fight. He doesn't like that getting pushed back. You know what I mean? That was always my concern about him fighting like really good pressure fighters was I just didn't he doesn't let his hands go enough to deter a guy like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to me, what Tio does well is when you come forward, he's a great counter puncher. Yep. So he's going to catch you and land really great combinations. But at times when he goes forward, he's not very creative all the time. He'll start looking for similar patterns, but he won't, he won't mix it up as much. Now, maybe he's evolved in the Taylor fight. He evolved and did that. But on the Taylor fight, he also moved backwards a bit and set up his punches by having Taylor trying to lead. And my, my concern with Ortiz is if Ortiz doesn't lead, how might Teofimo try to initiate the fight? And, and keep in mind, I think, and not to discredit him, it was a fantastic win, but Taylor was coming off his, his worst performance of his career, long, act, long period of inactivity, had, has had a lot of hard fights. I think Ortiz is a guy that's coming into his prime right now. So I think that does play a big factor. It's a great fight. It's a great TV fight. I think it's a 70-30 fight. 70% Teofimo wins, 30% Jermaine Ortiz. That's a great televised fight. It's on a Thursday night. Come home, Super Bowl week. Niners are going to win the Super Bowl, quite obviously. And you get a good prize fight here because Jermaine Ortiz has earned this. He had a draw with Joseph Adorno. He beat Herring, world champion. He beat uh, Nahir Wu Albright. He basically beat Lomachenko because even though he didn't beat him, he won the fans of the hearts because they thought he was going to get smoked. So even though he lost, he gave a competitive effort yep. to the point where people viewed it as a win. Um, to me, the other storyline of this is just how well Ortiz looks like he takes the weight cut because I feel like he's been one of the scariest looking weight cuts for years now. Yeah. And we're not even sure if Junior Welter is a good weight class for him. He might be a full-fledged welterweight. Yeah, it'll be interesting to find out. Because that's another reason. I think that he's getting buzzed in these shots because he cuts a lot of weight and he gets rocked yeah. by these shots. 100%, bro. 100%. Okay, let's go to the co-main event. Your guy, Keyshawn Davis, taking on Jose Pedraza. What's your early analysis on this? I mean, first of all, that's a great fucking fight. That is a great matchup. I love the kinds of fights that Keyshawn has been taking in his career. This is another logical step up but this is a real contender fight now he's in with an actual top 10 guy who's been in with all of the guys of his era and never really had his number taken other than by tank you know at, at these higher weights he's been competitive with every guy that he's ever been in with and he's been in with the best so Keyshawn wins this fight now he's legitimately in line for a title and I think that should Pedraza win, it only just puts him right back in the mix for the same kinds of fights he's been participating in for the last decade. And I've been saying this for a while. Davis's career looks to be mirroring Shakur Stevenson's. And if you look, Shakur Stevenson took a lofty step up in competition when he fought Christopher Patufa Diaz in his 11th fight. This is the same type of fight. 11th fight for Keyshawn Davis. It should be 10-0. He's 9-0 and no contest because of that thing. It's his 11th fight and he's stepping up and fighting a former world talent, former multiple division world cha uh, champion, similar to the Patufo Diaz fight. And I think this is another fight where it's a harder fight than that, to be honest. 
But, and I was going to say, I think this is a fight where I think a lot of people are coming in and going, oh, man, Keyshawn, I'm going to sign up to watch KO. This is a, a 60-40 fight. Keyshawn Davis has the advantage based on youth, based on promoter believing in him and uh, being the younger guy. But I, I really think Pedraza is going to have the best camp of his life and really feel like he can get himself another chance at glory and another big opportunity. He gave Barboza a hard fight, man. He looked good in that fight. He looked real sharp. He was, he was right in it. He's one of the most underrated guys because you have to be intelligent to understand why Pedraza is good. And that's what's really difficult because a lot of people don't have a boxing brain. They know how to talk to you about race, business, and all this other stuff, but they can't really talk boxing. I don't know if people have noticed that. They can tell you about everything but what happens in the ring. Um, what Pedraza does is like a boxing trainer or a boxer's favorite fighter aspects. He knows how to keep distance but not excessively move. He knows how to put pressure on without really doing a lot. Like he's just friggin' annoying. And then when you want to rest, he'll pump that jab on you to make you have to work. He's yep. just so veteran. And there's a lot of, we believe Davis has the answers, right? But there, this is a big step up and there's a lot of questions that are going to be asked. Um, Man crazy says about the weight Pedraza hasn't fought in this weight in a while. Why don't you give your thoughts and I'll do some research on that. Um, I don't even know what my thoughts are. I, I was presuming the fight would be at 140. I know that's where the majority of Keyshawn's career has been. Now that I'm looking, looks like it says that it's going to be at lightweight. I wouldn't be too worried about that with Pedraza, though, because Pedraza fought all the way down at 122, 126 pounds so, and, and has gradually moved up. So I, I wouldn't be too worried about the weight. I honestly think Pedraza, in my opinion – so Pedraza moved up to 140 pounds during the pan during in 2019, he moved up and I would arguably say at 140 pounds, he had probably the worst run of his career. He suffered three losses at 140 pounds, which might mean that that might've been a weight class where guys were just a little bit too big for him quite possibly. Um, I think 135, if he can comfortably still make that weight, probably his best weight class as a professional at this point yeah i mean to be honest i thought the barbosa fight was one of his best performances just because of who it was up against so i don't i, I don't know if that performance gets him a win over Keyshawn davis but he's 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 compelling in this fight he's definitely live i think that Keyshawn has had a couple of moments against albright where he started to look uncomfortable we've never even seen him look uncomfortable Pedraza is going to give him those moments, bro, where he's 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 got to rethink something. He's got to adjust. He's got to make that adjustment. He's got to he's going to second guess himself. You know what I mean? It's going to it's going to pose questions to him that he hasn't had to answer before. Yeah. And I think also the big thing with this fight is you hit it on the head. I believe it was the end of the eighth round. Keyshawn got caught with a punch. It seemed like he lost focus. And after that, I saw a temperament with Keyshawn where it looked as though this isn't fun. I don't want to be in here anymore. Yep. And Nahir Walbright kind of stole those last couple of rounds based on Davis looking as though he didn't expect the fight to become that difficult. And that's, I think, the question of this fight is, can Pedraza take Davis back to that place, especially given he had a marijuana drug suspension that could linger over? Yeah, like... Keyshawn Davis smoked weed because of probably a mental issue, but then Connor Ben has this possible drug abuse issue that we don't even talk about 
but it could have possibly bigger issues on Davis than it does Ben. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's insane. It's insane, it's insane bro. So, uh, selective all outrage, brother, selective outrage. Selective politicking is like what I like to call it. People selectively politic. Um, Abdullah Mason, real quick, what are your thoughts on this young stud? He's on the undercard. I mean, I always love me some Abdullah Mason, bro. He's, you know, he's obviously still young enough that we're just watching it develop and build up. But I love, I love me some Abdullah Mason. Think he's a future world champion? Yeah, I'm. That's. I think at this point, that's obvious. It's just a matter of what that path is that he takes to get there. Yeah, I mean, I think he's at that point where even if you're a casual fight fan, you should be watching his fights because he's putting together at 19 years old exciting dynamic performances that pretty much every time you tune in, you see something that's worth watching. Um, and the great thing is he doesn't have to be moved too fast. So, you know, he's got a great manager with James Prince, probably the best manager. If you look at his track record of taking high-quality uh, world champion fighters up there, so he doesn't have to do anything. He's got a powerful team. He's got a powerful promoter. He's got his dad as his trainer, you know, someone that's stuck with you, someone that loves you regardless. It seems like he's basically in the most ideal situation of probably <laughs> – would it be weird to say Abdullah Mason's in the most ideal situation of any boxer in the sport as of right now with everything around him and his potential? As far as, like, young guys with upside, I, it's hard to argue. Because he's also got that thing where it's like, you know, Jahai went pro at 17 and you could immediately see the talent, but it wasn't composed in the same way. Whereas this kid's always had that composure. Okay. Also on the card, your guy, Javier Martinez. Thoughts on Javi's fight? Um, it's tough, bro, because, you know, I, can, I always have good things to say about all of these guys, but at the moment with these matchups specifically, they aren't fighting guys that I'm familiar with. So it's a little tough for me to say, oh, look for this, look for that. But I think Javier Martinez is one of those exciting young middleweights that's going to be a part of resurrecting what is otherwise a pretty slow weight class. I feel like he's got a fight of the year in him. I feel like he's got a little bit of that unhinged recklessness that creates fight of the years. And I feel like he's got at least a couple of those in him. And I also feel like he's taken a really hard path. People always talk about guys get easy fights. I mean, this is a guy who has not had easy fights. No. No, he has not. And and I but that's again, it's gonna be like Khalil, like Joe Sean, a guy he fought, but that trial by fire thing, it's like by the time you get to that big fight, you're not answering all of the big questions all at one time. My guy, Charlie Sheehy, he's back on the card. Everyone loves Charlie Sheehy from Brisbane, California. Brilliant boxer. He had, uh, what was the injury in Reno? He had an injury, but it actually wasn't as bad as the telecast said it was. He's back. Little injury snafu, but he's going to be fighting. I believe it's his first, is it his first eight-rounder? It is his first eight-rounder. So he's taking on his first eight-rounder. It's the guy that beat our friend of the program, Ty Tomlin. He upset friend of the program, so our other friend of the program is going to get our get back on him. Watch out, buddy. What do you think of the young stud, Charlie Sheehy? Another very underrated guy, I think, is not getting the same level of uh, fanfare or advancement that some of these other prospects are, but I think the skill set is 100% there. 
Okay, so now we got some uh, some speed round ones. We got the debut, top-ranked debut of Alan Garcia, Kid Kansas. We got your friend Mikey the Bull taking on Art Barrera Jr., who I have no clue who that is. And another notable fight is George Acosta. This is my fight of the night, so get ready for this. George Acosta versus Renee Tellez. Who's Renee Tellez, you might say, Uncle Lukey? Well, that's the guy that knocked out um, Carlos Balderos and then missed weight and kind of top rank got mad at him. And then Gio, Gio Cabrera, our guy, beat him. Um, George Acosta was kind of being viewed as like a future Thompson boxing star. Then Thompson boxing disbanded. This is his opportunity on a top rank card. That's a real 50-50-ish type fight. What stands out about those three matchups to you? Um. I mean, always excited to see Mikey the Bull. That's a guy with a hell of a story. I don't know how Art Barrera or how that fight's going to play out, but he's a, a a pretty inspiring guy for his weight loss story. Um, can't say I know too much about the other ones, brother. I never like to pretend like I know guys that I don't know. I'm not familiar with any of those guys, so I'm always interested and, and excited to watch new talent. Well, I'm just going to tell the listeners, jump on early and watch that Georgia Costa Renee Tellez fight, because if Tellez comes in shape, that's going to be a hell of a fight. Georgia Costa actually has a YouTube channel that has more followers than our YouTube channel. And it's a fun thing. Real smart guy, charismatic. And I think that, that that's a banger fight. Look forward to seeing it. Um, just real quick. The last little things. I'm sure you're unaware of this guy, but he's he's doing enough where we should bring it up to our loyal autumns. Hamaz Shiraza. Shiraza. He's taking on Liam Williams. Shiraz. There you go. So he's taking on Liam Williams. What do you think of him as a fighter? Liam Williams is a former Demetrius Andre opponent. This is Saturday on ESPN Plus, the plus. I think Hamza could be a real problem. No, he he is a very exciting fighter. He is a very exciting fighter. I've only seen him once or twice. Um, that's definitely a UK deep cut, but shout out to all the UK deep cuts that will fill these cards up and make them exciting. Well, that's not filling up a card. That is our only boxing on Saturday. So that's the only card on Saturday that you can watch. Wow. And that's the main event of that card. Wow. That's, so that's not a deep, deep cut. Cool. That is not even that deep of a cut because that is the only fight you can watch on Saturday. No, that makes it an extra deep cut, bro, because if that's not the opening fight. Oh, we got some. Hey, Susam, I want to see Charlie Sheehy versus George Acosta if he wins. Yeah, that's a good fight. You know, that's a good California fight, makeable fight. Um, Alan Garcia is very talented. True, true. On this undercard, there's also another guy named Sam Noakes. He's taking on the – Luis Sylvester, I struggle to say words. Sam Noakes can really punch hard, man. He seems like a really solid lightweight puncher in the British. I'm sure you don't know nothing about him because I didn't know anything about him until I watched the Joe Joyce fight card against Joseph Parker, but I took a liking to him when I saw him on that undercard. I'll have to check it out, bro. You have to give me more heads up when you start pulling out the, the, the UK deep cuts. You know that I don't do prep, bro. We either just We either just know it or we don't. That's how we do it. We're the um, Johnny Fisher of podcasting. We go off the cuff. That's a, that's a stretch of an analogy. No, we're the Johnny. We're the Johnny Fisher of podcasting. All right. And when are they going to make my man Chris Lovejoy versus Johnny Fisher? That's the fight we need. Do we? 
I do. <laughs> I do. You don't like friend of the program, Christopher Lovejoy? No, he's fine, bro. It's but Johnny Fisher is like a enormous twenty five year old man. So Christopher Lovejoy is like an enormous thirty something year old man. It's two enormous men who have like both huge followings. Yeah, I mean, I I also love his, his ability to talk his way into fights. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, finally, Anthony Yard's going to be fighting someone I've never heard of. Um, it's good to have Anthony Yard back, right? I, I the fight that I'm really interested in for him is Anthony Yard and Khalil Co. That's that's the fight that I'm interested in seeing. Especially haven't heard any reference that he might take Khalil to for a fight in the UK. I think that that's. A, I a hate to break it to you, Dakota. Um, Eddie doesn't work with Anthony Yard. Even if he doesn't work with him, I just it feels it feels like if that's what he's saying, that's a objectively that would just be a, a fight that would be good for Khalil's career. So let's play matchmaker. <laughs> June first, Matchroom is doing Matchroom versus Queensberry Promotions. What if one of the fights was Anthony Yard, I believe, is with Queensberry Promotions and uh, Khalil's with Matchroom? That could be one fight on that card, Matchroom. And, and, and it would be a great fucking fight. Those are the type of fights I'd kind of like to see where a contender gets brought up. Um, hey, Susam, Lukey, are you going to Gabe Flores' fight in March? You better believe it. We will be there um, live in the building. If you are there, come say what's up to me. And I will shake your hand. I promise I will, too. I promise. Um, also in the chat, uh, Noakes is a top Queensberry lightweight. I agree. He's really good. Um, Queensberry pushing for Mark Chamberlain versus Sam Noakes. But Chamberlain is fighting Gavin Gwynn and Saudi first. You know, I'm a sicko. So that uh, those names don't just sound like names. I kind of know who they are. Those are fun fights. Like, those are genuine. Like... Now, are Americans going to care? No, that's like the, the DP World Tour or the European Basketball League. But guess what? Guys come out of that and become world-level fighters. So those fights, if promoted right, there is an audience of hardcore fans that want to watch that on a global scale. Absolutely. Dakota, do you have any final thoughts or can I go jump into the ocean? Go jump into the ocean, bro. That sounds beautiful. That's what I'm going to do, bro. How's the weather where you're at? It's 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 a, it's it's nicer. We didn't have sun in New York City for about fifteen days, so it's been nice that that's been peaking out finally. Okay, let's see. We got one last question. Gwyn is the guy who was losing to the fifty-year-old Italian before the Al Italians withdrew. Okay, so that's not a promising uh, endorsement of Gavin Gwyn. <laughs> that like people that are familiar with his career are basically yeah, he like was losing to a middle-aged man. And then the middle-aged man just couldn't. The middle-aged man is like, you know what? I didn't expect to be doing this good. I, I didn't I, train I, hard. I, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm not feeling good, man. My body's saying I got to shut the system down. Gavin Gwynn's like, yeah, I stopped him. I told you I'd break him. Yeah. And it's like, look at the judges. Score. I chopped oh. down the tree. Hey, Suzanne, go to, you don't have a New York accent response. Thank you. I, I'm not really sure what to say to that. I get mixed results on that. Some people are like, you have an incredibly thick accent. Some people don't think I have any at all. It is what it is. Fuck.
Final few seconds. If you want to throw any more questions at the chat, this will be our Q&A session. We'll do this every now and then. Um, but if you don't have any questions, we'll be um, we'll be out of here in a second. Dakota, what is coming up with you over this next coming week? What is coming up with me? Uh, I got a, a good guest for the Slipway podcast this week, my guy Luke Ayanachilli, who just got announced he's going to be fighting Nico Ali Walsh on top rank which is a pretty big step up in venue for him. Um, very exciting. Go check out the fight life with Khalil Co. And that's what I got right now, bro. Okay. And we're going to work on getting you a couple of guests, maybe for the slip and weave. When I get back to the mainland, when I get back to speaking pigeon. Yeah. Where the, where the fuck are you at? I'm not going to tell you, bro. Fair enough. I'm not going to tell you, bro, but I'm somewhere and I'm podcasting because I know some people out there, Really enjoy this show, and they're going to enjoy about it. Uh, did you talk about Buwazi? Hey, Susam, let me give you the show notes that I've been keeping the thing. We talked about Joseph, Joseph Buwazi at 28 minutes. So if you go back to the 28-minute mark, you can hear all about our thoughts with Joshua Buwazi. But I'm getting a little tired, so we're not going to do that segment again, but that's why I keep show notes. Uh, any other questions, or we're going to shut the ship down. So I'm going to give you a second. Okay, doesn't look like there's any more questions. Dakota, I will see you maybe next Thursday or Friday because the big card is on Thursday. Do we go? I guess we'll do this on air right now. Do we go after the main event on Thursday or do we do it on Friday morning? Uh, that's a good question. Game I mean, time decision? I think that's a game time decision, and I guess it also depends on uh, how good the fight is. Like, yeah. we were going to do one for Shakur and Edwin. And we both were kind of like, why don't we just wait a couple of days? Like yeah. nobody's let's, really need to let everyone recover from that. No, you were just, I remember you texting me. You're like, I don't think anyone's waiting to hear like, <laughs> what us have to say about it. I think people have already formed their opinions. They're not going to be like, let's jump on the internet and hear what some people. Oh, we got NFL predictions, Super Bowl predictions. Well, I'm a Bay Area guy, so I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, but then again, like I'm not a super sports fan. Like I like sports but I've been around so many athletes and I can tell you they don't really care about what team they play for. They just want to check. So when you're around that enough, it kind of takes away your fandom because the players themselves are more about like the abilities that they have and how they can compete at the highest level. So though I grew up a Niners fan and I like the Niners, I'm just hoping to see some world-class plays in the game. Nothing's worse than the Super Bowl, and it's just a really bad unenjoyable game that's probably one of the weaker sporting events if you get just kind of an uneventful super bowl yeah i don't even know who's playing so you're asking the wrong guy it's it's niners versus the kansas city chiefs um it's taking place in las vegas nevada so this top rank fight week if you choose to tune into anything they're just gonna spam the super bowl content so you're just gonna be getting like a bunch of like there might be some cheerleaders there you might get like an errant, like a random football player that told PR he likes boxing and they ship him down there and he's just getting to talk to people and he doesn't really know anything. He says he likes fights. And he's like, like, man, I love Mike Tyson. <laughs> well, that's like that's like they did a segment on ESPN. It was about boxing and they got random NBA players to talk about Hagler Hearns. And it's like, this is painful, bro, because like the, the verbiage they're using would be like if you and me watched a basketball game and gave our assessment. It's just such novice level analysis. Like, I love how tough he is. It's like, it's 
I don't know. I think the problem with boxing, and this, I'll end on this rant. We as telecasters don't give the fans smart enough content. So, like, the content that's given to them is we're always trying to meet that mythical casual fan. When I think the casual fan is looking to be educated and get smarter content so they can go into these fights and not have to listen to a practice. Or help to explain to the casual fan what's happening in front of them as opposed to mirroring that same uh, lack of understanding. And I I think that another thing is storylines. Since HBO left the sport, where is the story of the fight in telecasts? You know, where is... Kellerman's the story of the fight. It's usually, yeah, and it's usually just around like, whoa, somebody got shoved. You know, it's got it's it's like a clickbaity kind of. Well, we're losing the emotion of the moment. When I watch fights, I look at the emotion because I've told you this before privately, but I'll say it here. I think at the highest level, fighting isn't about talent; it's about the emotion of the moment. What fighter can handle the emotions when they get into the ring at the highest level? I don't hear that many i hear paulie i hear chris algeria i hear sergio mora hear a couple people talk about the emotion of the moment but we don't have enough telecasters talk about the emotion the fighters going through i hear a lot of people trying to overly explain to tell the audience that they're smart enough to tell you what's happening in the ring but i don't no other sport does that right like we don't we're not watching basketball and dumbing everything down for fans that may not know uh, how the sport works. Like, I don't understand why as boxing fans or, or as, as boxing, the telecast in some cases has to, all right, let's start from the, the ground level as if no one's ever watched the sport before. You know yeah, what I mean? I that's like sports people to catch up. I don't know dick about football, but when I'm watching it, no one's fucking spoon feeding me the rules, you know? That's what I think is hurting boxing is our content isn't smart enough. Yeah. Our content doesn't engage people. Our content is kind of silly and stupid. And that's no shots. It's just, it's not. I think Tim Bradley's doing a great job right now with kind of explaining like this very fight. Safe. It's very safe. Well, it's, it's very, it feels, I think the word I would say is it's very micromanaged. It feels mm-hmm. like a network executive is putting the reins on very smart boxing people to the point where they don't feel they have the freedoms to give you smart content. Yeah. It's all compressed within an inch of its life. I just think that when you turn on a college basketball game, there's a lot of enthusiasm. There's a lot of, um, Oh, I think the coach is thinking this right now. I think this in boxing, we're getting, we're not getting a lot of that. And I think that a lot of people respond to the emotion and the tenacity and the drama as it's going in real time for what will the outcome be? And I think the further we get away from that, the fewer people tune into boxing. Couldn't agree more, bro. Okay, that's the way we're ending the show. Take care, everybody.